Welcome to Nine Point Started With A Dream Podcast. Our goal is to showcase the stories of athletes and the community that supports them by being authentic about their journey. Here's your host, Jacoby Gillum. Yo, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jacoby Gillum. And you know, every episode we do, we like, like to find a guest you know, that embodies what it means to be a dream chaser, right? Someone who, you know, never backs down. Someone like an underdog, someone who just goes after their dream and just, you know, just shoots their shot. And today's guest, you know, Brian Bell is all of that. You know, he took he took something that happened to him you know, growing up that could have said he could have said, you know what, I'm done with sports. But he said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce back from this. I'm gonna push the limits. I'm gonna see what's possible. And, and he's doing just that. He you know he now he's an athlete, a Paralympian, gold medalist, and so much more. So great story here, great journey. You're gonna get inspired by it, and hopefully you just kind of motivate yourself to, you know, chase your dreams too. So let's get to it. So Brian, the question that everyone that comes on is, when you're younger as an athlete, what was like your big dream and goal you wanted to achieve? When I was an athlete, I would say especially like pre-injury and accident. You know, growing in the um, Birmingham, Alabama, football was really big, so. Of course, I wanted to play football um, at like college level. And then maybe if I was good enough and training hard enough, maybe a little bit more um, past that. But definitely wanted to play football um, at the college level because I grew up watching University of Alabama and their football program. Um, so that's kind of one of the things I wanted to do. Then, of course, after my accident, lost my, my right leg, I had to kind of refocus and kind of find out a new passion or new dream or drive to do. And then after a few, you know, challenging um, aspects of finding sports, like I tried football again after my injury and I had my prosthetic. And of course I loved it at the time, but I couldn't keep up with all the other kids. Only having one leg, it just wasn't, you know, a reliable situation to kind of do long-term. So then I decided to kind of find more sports that's more equipped for adaptive athletes or people with, you know, injuries and stuff in that nature. So uh, that's when I found Witcher Basketball. Um, and then I kind of fell in love with Witcher Basketball because uh, basketball in general was kind of my second favorite sport growing up. And then I just gravitated to that. Uh, it's kind of a, a pretty easy switch. Um, and I kind of fell in love with it and kind of ran with it. So. That was the process of kind of just kind of kind of kind of, kind of finding your new passion in a sense. Mm-hmm. So you say, you know, before, before the accident, you had you left football and then mm-hmm. the accident happened. So you might say explain what happened a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So when I was about nine, close to 10, I was going to visit a friend of mine with some of my friends that came over to my house to get me to go to the other friend's house. And the neighborhood that I live in is kind of um, surrounded by a lot of kind of industrial type things. So there's a lot of train tracks. Um, There's a lot of uh, trains coming back and forth, loading, unloading type of things, uh, raw materials like coals and other stuff like that. So they always stop on the train tracks to, of course, load and unload. And it's just very, very annoying. Sometimes it takes hours. Sometimes it's quick. But most of the time, it's very, very long. You know, being an impatient kid, I got tired of waiting. And then I decided, like, okay, I'm just going to climb the ladder 
because all the train carts have ladders. I'm just going to climb the ladder, try to get to the other side, and then just hop off. But of course, as I was doing that, the chain, the train started kind of moving again and kind of jolted really quickly. And I kind of lost my balance as I was about to jump off and caught my right leg and, and fell underneath. And the train, as it was keep going, just ran right over it. And lucky enough, it was only the right and not both. But yeah, ran completely over it and crushed it, um, the leg. And But lucky enough, I was able to kind of get away from the train and kind of very, very loudly scream to my friends at the time to go get help and call 911 and all that stuff. Wow, man. So uh, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's definitely very, very uh, likely that I could not have been here. Yeah. Lost a lot of blood at at that time. So, yeah, very, very thankful. So when you said, you know, you have have the injury and now you kind of had to find like a new passion. How how did you, I guess, kind of how do you go from, you know, the the point of, you know, dealing with what happened to saying, okay, I'm going to find like that next. Thing, you know, kind of dealing with the process, kind of overcoming what just happened to you? Uh, it was it, it, to do with that, I would say it was kind of my support network, especially early on. Uh, of course, my family was very supportive and um, hoping that I would be able to kind of get back to normal things. My friends who came to visit um, were very encouraging, very like, like joking with me at the time, like, are oh, you gonna just gonna keep laying there type of thing? Stuff like that to kind of get my spirits up. And I appreciate it a lot because when something like that happens, you know, you think, you know, the world's over. You're not going to be able to do much now, um, that type of thing. It helped a lot knowing that I'd be able to get a prosthetic and be able to walk again um, and then put in the work as much as I can to kind of get to walking normally. And then maybe not even people even knowing I have a, a prosthetic leg, um, especially when wearing pants. So it was just those type of things um, that kind of helped me uh, in my drive to kind of get back into the more normal side of things of going to school, um, you know, not in a wheelchair type of thing, um, then get back on the prosthetic and then finding sports again. And, and just that support network from friends and family helped tremendously. So when you got your, your prosthetic, how long did it kind of take, take you can go from, you know, to kind of be able to just be able to like fully be able to, and walk everything in, in, in it? Um, it took a while. Um, I would say, I would say between like six and eight months, if I remember correctly, um, from like rehab um, and then to like a bunch of them taking molds of, of my leg um, and then to trying on different types of prosthetics to make sure it fits correctly. Um, at the time, I was with Strina's Hospital um, and they were able to get me connected with a more, um, I would say, specialized um, prosthetic team um, at the time that was out of South Carolina. So they actually scheduled like vans for me to like drive from Birmingham, Alabama, all the way up to South Carolina to go see those hospitals and to get help from those doctors. And so I was at in good hands early on to be able to get in a prosthetic that was made perfectly for me um, as I was growing up and be able to kind of enjoy sports on my prosthetic. And that was kind of the leading factor of like, oh, this prosthetic is, you know, working perfectly. Maybe I should try my hand at football again, you know, just to see how it is. 
because you know when I'm doing it at, in the neighborhood and stuff like that, it seems like it's working perfectly fine. So that was kind of my driving um, factor into like trying middle school football at the time on yeah. my prosthetic. So you're back on the on the field, right? Football field, mm-hmm. or you at? Were you a receiver? Or you playing? Or were you playing at? Uh, my position at the time was I was trying to find my niche. Um, when I was playing football before my accident, I always like um, like the receiver type thing, but I didn't feel like I had like you know the the speed and stuff for that stuff. So I tried my hand on the more defensive side, and then I was more around the safety um, okay. spot area, which is still requires a decent amount of you know running and movement. But that's kind of the next spot after that that I wanted to try. And then I wasn't as mo- mobile, of course, being on a prosthetic. So then I kind of got bumped down to like more special teams and stuff of that nature. So, and I enjoyed that quite a bit because then I was able to kind of be like the second and third wave of like getting tackles and stuff like that uh, onto people once my other teammates kind of get a hold of them um, and stuff like that. But I enjoyed it tremendously, um, even if I didn't get the particular roles that I wanted from the start. So. So what was that? So what was that feeling like? Like that first game, you know, going from you know knowing where you were to what happened to now you're back. Like know that you're back doing something that you love. What was that feeling like that first game? Oh, it was amazing. It was definitely hard because, like I said, I tried the safety first, um, um, first, and it was challenging, especially when like one of the opposing team's receiver came right up the middle. And he caught the ball and he was coming right at me. And of course he did one little quick, you know, juke move. And I wasn't as comfortable, you know, with my lateral movement at the time. And he was able to get right around me and get a touchdown. So that kind of felt bad. But of course I stuck with it. And I did not just change to a different role and put someone else in, in a better position so we can see it as a team. So all in all, it was still fine. Was there, was there ever any like fear, you know, or like, I'm getting out there at all? No, I wouldn't necessarily say fear. Definitely um, anxious and like nervous in terms of maybe um, I'm not performing well enough for the team. And, and that's kind of stemmed to like me trying different roles um, to kind of help the team out more better in that situation. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't say fear. Yeah. So you don't hear a lot about, you know, about athletes wearing prosthetics playing football. Right, you know, you don't, you know, you don't you kind of hear a lot of those stories. So, they, they're the kid out there that wants to, you know, you know, that wants to give it a try. What, yeah. what advice would you, what would you give them? Um, I would say, especially if you're, you know, younger and you have a disability or anything, I would say just try everything. Um, it helps tremendously if, um, uh, whatever P, um, teacher or physical education instructor at your schools include you in everything. That helps tremendously because then at that point. You know, you're introduced to certain things, you're seeing your limitations early on, um, and you know later down the road what what you can't do. And a lot of times, you know, school systems don't you know provide the, the right amount of like, accessibility for people with disabilities to try different sports. You know, they more let them do whatever else they want to do rather than like forcing them to at least try it to see if they even like it. And it helps in the long run because then you grow to like find something that you like to do in terms of being um, physically active um, with having a disability. Yeah, that's good right there. 
So you, you said you tried you tried football, you know, you kind of realized like I read, I read on your profile that it was like, you know, we came kind of strenuous with everything, I kind of found a way to do something else. So once the football dream ended, well, what, 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 what was your new dream? Uh, once the football dream ended, um, like I said before, uh, basketball was kind of my second favorite sport. So, of course, I played that all the time in the neighborhood whenever I can on my prosthetic. Um, but I knew, especially after trying football, there's no way that I'm going to be able to go run up and down the court for uh, like extended periods of time with basketball. Um, so I was talking around like the area. My mom at the time was working um, at, a, at a hospital. And one of her nurse colleagues um, basically introduced me to like a, a foundational organization out of Birmingham, which is the Lake Shore Foundation, which is also a Paralympic and Olympic training facility that had a bunch of adaptive sports that kids in the neighborhood, people anywhere want if they wanted to come can try. Um, and then you also had like actual Olympic and Paralympic athletes who actually trained there as well. So you can actually see firsthand. Uh, some of these adaptive athletes and what they do for their sport. So I went there one weekend, one Saturday, and tried a bunch of sports, wheelchair tennis, uh, wheelchair basketball, of course. I even tried uh, wheelchair rugby um, at the time, which I knew I, I couldn't do because of my disability. I wasn't, I was too, um, too able at the time because uh, it was more for more um, extreme dis uh, disabilities for which are rugby, but I wanted to try it. But I just fell in love with basketball. It just came very, very natural to me at the time. And then the coach of the team there saw me in like a just whatever chair and and saw potential in me right away. And I was able to kind of get established with the team later in that season, even after the season started already. So going on that, right? How important was it that, that, you, that you had, you know, visibility to other athletes that were doing it? Oh, it's extremely important. Um, it's kind of the biggest thing that I've talked to you about in the past is just having accessibility for kids to actually see it, the sports, and see if they can do it, see how other people maybe hear their stories and how they did it and how they came to this level. Because um, that's the thing, it's just certain areas don't have adaptive programs. So therefore, kids who have disabilities might not know about them because they're not in areas that have adaptive programs. And that's the kind of the kind of driving factor right now. Um, there are more and more adaptive programs popping up across the country um, uh, in the U.S. that kind of helps get the awareness out for those people with disabilities and, and adaptive needs to continue to play sports while having a disability. Yeah, because I feel like kind of helps the conversation a little bit more, right? You know, kind of helps kind of build that community, kind of help build that that drive to think that, you know, because I think it's probably easy to think that, like, my sports dream stop if I, if I can't be, you know, able-bodied, and then we say, right? So yeah. I think, like, you know, be able to, you know, see guys like you, Jorge Sanchez, mm -hmm. right? You can, kids can start dreaming, oh, I can be in a Paralympian, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dreams that over even after something traumatic like losing a limb or gaining a disability happens. Yeah. So once that coach approached you, how far did, did, did you see you can go with this? At first, you know, the coach was like, I think, I think you'd be good at basketball. So I was like, 
oh, thanks. You know, you know, basketball is one of my favorite sports. So I, you know, I try to train and try to put the work in and be um, good at it. And he's like, yeah, and I really, really do think that you can grow to be a really good player. And if you want, you can come and play for my team and see if you like it and stuff like that. And of course, I went to a couple of practices, fumbled with it. The coach at the time was very, very intense coach. Um, he was doing, you know, collegiate level drills and training camps and like holiday camps um, for kids that were like in middle school and high school. So I was able to get kind of that elite coaching early on and it kind of helped and even um, propelled my drive even further um, to maybe try to, you know, see how far I can go in the sport and see if I can get to that next level, you know, maybe representing my country at the world stage at the Paralympics type of thing. And it, it stemmed from that, that, that one coach showing a little bit of faith in me, believing in me, giving me the tools that I needed to continue to, you know, pursue my, my next passion, my, my next dream. What's your game like? Are you what? You're a three-point shot guy? You're a defender? What's your game? Um, I would say my overall game is more well-balanced, I would say. Um, especially I love defense. So I definitely specialize more in defense. I grew into the role of being more of um, a shooter, especially early on, because I felt like my team needed need to be more of a scorer. But I would say definitely well-balanced. I, I like to think that not being a specialist, per se, but being well-balanced, it, it makes you harder to guard and harder to defend because they don't know what you're going to do type of thing. And they don't know how to play against you um, if you're on defense. Uh, and, and I still do that to this day. I try to maximize as much of my flaws as possible to kind of be a more well-rounded basketball player. All right. So a few weeks ago, we had Jorge Hayes on, on, on the podcast, right? So one-on-one, who's winning? <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, it's been a while since we've been one-on-one. That's, that's, that's a, a great, great question. I don't know. I think it'd be pretty even because we both – both pretty fast. Um, we grew up playing against each other in, in grade school, and we kind of modeled our game after each other. Um, I know he'll say that oh, I kind of modeled my game after, after Brian, uh, but it's it's more that I model my game off the, you know, the generation before me, um, the Pat Andersons, uh, those type of guys there are, are known as legends in the sport. And then I kind of just tailor their game to my body type on what I can do physically. Um, and I feel like both of us are pretty same physical physique um, and we can kind of do things similar. And he, he's the same way. He likes to be more well-balanced as well, um, defensively and offensively. That's, I'm gonna say it'd be zero-zero because we're more defensively minded. Ah, okay. <laughs> who, who gets the first point? Who gets the first point? You got who like- gets the first point? I, I might say me because I like my one, tradi- like, traditional go-to move is a fadeaway okay and it's pretty hard to guard and i also like once i went to college i tailored enough that like i can fade away like going like sideways instead of going straight back i go like from side so it's more like a off-balance shot so i have kind of tailored that type of style to my game and i'm able to kind of incorporate it in games pretty easily so I would say maybe I would get the first point, but after 
a few defensively, you know, possessions. We're going to get tired. We're going to be checking up shots because we can't get past each other. So maybe I will get the first shot in. All right. So when you're both back in the state, we're going to do a one-on-one game. Well, yeah, we'll, I, I would say I'm gonna say that we do that, and then maybe we'll have someone video tape. We'll see. Yeah, I'll, first. I can record it something because I want to. I want to try playing. Like, I don't, I don't okay. think I'll be that good, but you, you, you know, but know I, I, I want to try it. You know, just the because yeah. the thought of having to to roll yourself right, mm-hmm. you, know, you got to pass and shoot, just to figure out mm-hmm. you 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 got to think about a lot of different things. I feel like mm-hmm. that you would just normally, and you know, just you know, standing up basketball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when you so this new dream began, you're now new coach kind of gave you opportunity to to dream bigger now, right? You're now able mm-hmm. to start thinking about, oh, maybe I could rep the USA. How did you think about how I'm going to approach that dream? I'm going to come. I'm going to achieve that this new dream. Um, it's more that I was given the tools to, so I took advantage of it, um, type of thing. So. When I had like this very, very nice facility, Olympic Paralympic facility with, you know, tons of weights, machines, all different types of exercise equipment on top of like, you know, three full size courts back like side by side by side, uh, swimming pool, all this, all the types of things. I just took advantage of it. I just went wild and I was just in the gym constantly. And it, it kind of, I just didn't want to take advantage of like the position that I was in. Cause I, like I said, most kids with disabilities don't have like facilities at the at that level in that backyard. And I did. I was I literally lived only like 20 minutes away from that facility. Uh, and most people have maybe lived two, three, four hours from anything close to that. Um, so I was just very fortunate and I want to take advantage of that. And then and that kind of also helped. And my coach at the time got me um, in contact with Performance, the wheelchair company. And I was able to, to get a basically a, a brand new chair fitted personally for me um, after my very first year, you know, leading to my second year of playing basketball. And, and that's something that most kids don't even get a chance to do, have like a fitted chair for them that early. Because usually when you're that young, you normally just get hammered down chairs or chairs that you can just constantly and they're mostly bulky, they don't push well. But this chair was perfect. It, it made me quick. It made me fast. I was able to do pretty much everything um, I needed to do in it. And having that on top of the facility um, just helped me prepare my game even more and my craft even more. So you had like the Jordan, the wheelchairs? At the time, I thought so for sure. Um, it was definitely one of the one of the top competitors uh, with wheelchairs at the time. It was them and quickie um that were pretty um competitive back when i was a kid um performance definitely has taken off way more now and they're being more dumb than more of a dominant factor in the market right now um so i would definitely say they're more um the jordans right now of, of the witcher brand and a lot more people use them um for witcher basketballs and now witcher tennis and other sports now as well all right that you don't really know about right you know you don't really hear about you know, like that thought that it matters what wheelchair you have, you know, the mm-hmm. whether it kind of optimal, you know, be able to play. So that's mm-hmm. cool to learn. Um, so in our little form thing, you know, for the podcast, that was mm-hmm. the question, you know, it's like if you if you had to write a yeah, yeah, had have like a story for your 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 journey, what, what would you call it? Right. And you and you said like Yeah. Remember what you said? 
I I vaguely remember, but I don't know if you have it written down. Yeah, but I vaguely remember it. Yeah, you said back to back cuts to back to back goals. So what does that yeah, mean? Yeah. Well, when I first started um, or like a trying out for USA teams, um, I was at 16. I was actually pretty fortunate to make a under 23 USA team at the age 16. And I was very, very surprised because at the time I was like, I'm not making it, but I'm just going to have a blast on putting against all of these people that I've uh, I've seen play and looked up to, um, and, you know, and want to be at their level someday. And I was and I'm fortunate enough to make it. Um, and it kind of extremely piqued my appetite to make like a senior USA team down the road. So like after that, after I made that team, after I've gone to that tournament, after the team was very successful there, and I and I felt like I was able to contribute a fair amount, even though I'm not the biggest you know guy out there. I was able to use my speed, my my skills, intelligence, stuff like that, to kind of level out some of the maybe more physically gifted athletes and older athletes at the time. So I was like, okay, I I, I need to make a senior team now. I, I'm gonna try to do it. So then I started trying out for senior teams after that, and I just kept missing out, missing out, missing out. And I knew the first couple, oh, okay, I'm, I'm super young. I know I'm gonna miss it. Like the Beijing was, I was like, maybe I can make it. Um, but I knew that it was most likely no, because I was a very, very small, like four or five, that's, that's the highest class you can be. And that's my class. And there's usually like huge guys, like centers, like people who are like, six five six six or higher and they're huge in the chairs and i'm only like six one um and i'm really not that huge in my chair so i have to compete against all these bigger guys and and they pick more by height back then so i was battling against that and i can't really change my height per se um i could find to some of the you know more finer details of my game to kind of um even up the level a bit, but I can't change my height. So then when London 2012 came around, I was like, okay, this this might be a really, really good time to like make the team because I improved quite a, uh, quite a bit in like my defense, those skills in terms of guarding bigger guys that's way, way bigger than me and keeping them from their spots that they're comfortable shooting with. Um, I improved my shooting uh, tremendously. And I felt like I can be able to incorporate some of that into the team and help them win. Um, and of course, I got cut for that kind of similar statement. Oh, I think you're too small. Well, like we know you're super fast and, and you can keep mostly anyone from the basket, but you're not big. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I got cut again, you know, back to back. And then I was like, okay, now I need to do another step to kind of improve my game. So that's after that, I decided to go professional. So then that's when I made the decision to come overseas and then start training at a more higher level and then playing against some of those guys that I'm going to be playing against um, at the national level at, uh, against their countries. And that helped tremendously. I, I saw a huge, huge leap. And then after that, the next quad came around 2016. I finally made the team. Um, I was able to make a spot. And right away, I felt I was able to kind of make an impact right away. I was on the starting lineup. I was able to contribute to 
of course, uh, a gold medal winning performance at the Paralympics in Rio in 2016. And then after that, of course, I stayed hungry. And again, we came back together to Tokyo and we did it again. So it's that, you know, setbacks going to happen uh, as part of life. It's more staying with it. And if you really, really want to accomplish it, putting the extra work into it, making sure that you put all the hours, making sure that you're maximizing all the different areas that you can use to increase your, your, um, your skills, and then going after it again. And maybe not 100%, but like a little bit more, like 101%, 105%. There's a little bit extra to kind of get to the next level. And that's what I felt like I did um, after those hard cuts, especially the very, very last cut. That's dope right there to hear, you know, like yeah. you, you didn't, you didn't quit, right? Yeah. So what was the motivating factor besides, you know, besides not quitting? Like, was it more of an ego thing? Was it more, you know, like I got the dream, like, I got to achieve it. Like, like what kept you going after each of those cuts? Um, it's a lot of things. I would say some of the guys that make the team telling me constantly that you should be on this team. That that helped me tremendously because then it's like, well, if they're saying that, you know, they don't have any control of what the coaches decide or who they pick and they want me on their team, then I need to get better. I need to 100% like what have the coaches say without a doubt, he has to be on his team. And that kind of helped my kind of drive even more. It was already pretty high at the time. But it helped my drive even more. And a lot of those guys that I played that I played with on the USA team, they played overseas. And that's how they got better and stayed, you know, consistent throughout their career. So then that was kind of my deciding factor. Like I, I need to do that as well. I need to go overseas. I need to get better. I need to play against the best in the world with those players across the country um, and across the world. So that's what I did. And I was able to make the team. How how big is the overseas market for for wheelchair basketball? Kind of like like because there's not one in the states, right? There's no like league in the states, or is no, it? there is a league, but it's not considered professional for the fact that you don't get like paid to play type of thing. And the only there's a few professional leagues across the world. The biggest one I would say would be Europe. That's where you get paid the most because it's not as many competing sports. I would say like in Germany, it's it's crazy to think, but like I think wheelchair basketball is like fourth, maybe fifth next like biggest sport because that's how you know much they promoted it. That's how much like backing by sponsors they have. And then that's kind of hard in the States because you have all these other competing sports. You know, you have the NBA, the NBL, um, the NFL, the baseball, the hockey, the you know, both men and women, the you know, all the cross lacrosse. You have all these other different sports. Like it's just crazy how many sports like even competitive darts is getting like big. Like it's all these different sports you have to compete against in the U.S. It kind of helps that that kind of prevents some of the smaller sports, like which is basketball or even adaptive sports, kind of get more shine and more limelight. So kind of following on that, then how do we grow those sports in the U.S.? How do we get more notoriety on you know adaptive sports and, and what you all are achieving? I would definitely say it it, it has helped. For sure. And it kind of stemmed from a lot of the like news broadcasting or like channels broadcasting the Paralympics like more openly 
on TV and live TV rather than being like streaming. I know that the biggest push was leading up to uh, Rio 2016 with NBC was to be able to have like live coverage of the Paralympics in a different sport. So people, like as they're watching TV day to day, they actually see it rather than, you know, you have to like know about it. You have to go to like a link and stream it type of thing. So it's awareness, like more people are getting the chance to know about it. And that's the biggest thing because most people, especially when I was younger, they just didn't know that there was even a such thing as wheelchair basketball. Like it was just like a foreign concept to them. Uh, but like now, like that I've, after, especially after this last Paralympics, like I've had people saying like, I just saw you play like while I was, you know, having food or having a drink at the bar. And I just saw like your gold medal game. Because even after they play the live, they have it like on loops for a couple of weeks, just showing it on the NBC channels and other channels. So it was just cool to like see that because back then I didn't have it. I remember watching my teammates in like Beijing and then even London. Um, the kind of London would have kind of started the broadcasting a bit more. Um, but Beijing, there was nothing. So I had to go to like a link to stream it. So it was just to see the kind of progressing for each competition, how it got better, improved better, the broadcasting stations improved of how and when and how, how much coverage people are actually seeing. So it can come down to accessibility then. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that was the biggest thing. Just people just didn't have accessibility to actually see adaptive sports. So when it comes to getting a team overseas, is that an easy process? Like, you got to hire an agent or what? How did you kind of go about finding a team in a league over, you know, across the, across the world? So in, in wheelchair basketball, there's like a, basically a kind of a world governing body for wheelchair basketball, which is called the International Wheelchair Basketball Federation. And then they have a website that you can actually go on there and then kind of like put on like a form for like some of the European clubs to see, like saying that you want, you know, you're looking to go overseas um, and play professional basketball. And then you can kind of submit, you know, video clips. You can write kind of like your basic professional resume on there. And they can see that and see some of the things that you have done in the past and see if they want you. It also helped with me having a lot of my USA teammates already overseas or have been overseas already. So they were able to kind of get my word out to them directly and actually talk to like the clubs, the managers, like, oh, this I noticed, you know, a, a teammate um, from USA team who's looking to come over and play professionally. And I feel like he'd be a good fit. That type of thing. That helped tremendously. And I was fortunate enough right away to go to a, a great club in Italy and help them to, you know, championships right away. And that and that was kind of stemmed from I had teammates that played there before type of thing. And that kind of helped prepare my grip. And then I went from, you know, a good team to, to a great team, to like, like I've only gone to good teams type of thing. And, and, and it kind of helps with knowing people, you know, having people who have done it already. So, right, we haven't got to gold yet, but like if you, mm-hmm. if you, if you look back to like that, that kid, you know, in, in Alabama, right, that, for, for the injury, all type of stuff, right? Like, what would you tell him about the journey ahead? I would say to him that the journey is going to be, you know, a difficult one, hard one, long one. Um, I know you want to, you know, represent your country at the world stage, especially after you got into basketball. 
I would say, I'm going to say, stick with it. They're going to keep telling you that you're too small, you're too this. But to keep working on your craft, working on everything, uh, even more so, they proved me wrong. To show them that you deserve to be on the USA team, you deserve to be on, um, considered as um, a great player or one of the great players um, to play basketball for your country. And, and you will get there one day if you stay on this track and continue to put in the work to do so. I mean, that was fire right there, man. <laughs> like, that can be like a, be, be like an alarm right there. Like a voice note alarm, you know? Like one of those. <laughs> like, yeah, a little self-talk type of thing. Yeah. Like it just wakes you up like, you are amazing. You would do great things today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like like I can feel like <laughs> right now, you know, that, that had, had, had those same dreams right, that you had, right? Having an alarm that, that, that tells them that, that what you just said right there, like every day, you know, like mm-hmm. they're going to tell you you're too small. They're going to tell you X, Y, Z, but keep going, keep pushing. Because sometimes you can kind of kind of need those affirmations, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like like your teammates, right? were telling you, you should be on this team, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what was it like when you finally made the USA team? You know, you said you had back-to-back cuts, you know? Mm-hmm. So this was what? So 2016 was the, the year you made the team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I made the team starting, I guess you would say, 2012, uh, kind of beginning of the four years. So because you have to go to like smaller tournaments to qualify for other tournaments and then qualify for the Paralympics. So I, I've made the U.S. team starting at 2012. <laughs> or no, I guess 2013. Sorry, 2013 after the London Paralympics. So 2013. And what was your initial emotion after? Knowing you went through this whole journey, right? And that, you know, you, you endure the cuts, you you got mm. better overseas, right? To know that mm. I get to live my dream now representing the USA. Oh, it's amazing. It just, especially, especially once, because making the team like before making like the real team, it was like, okay, because they can always just take new players just to see how they do type of thing um and not necessarily take a you know team gear for one thing like the Paralympics so I knew like I all it's good make a team now but I know I need to still keep putting in the work to make that final team for the Paralympics because that's you know ultimately what matters um is that goal making the Paralympics so once I made it I was like I was like over the moon like I called everyone you know it was just like at the time, I, I still really couldn't believe it. Like I knew I, I should make it because I put in all the work. But, you know, when it happens, it's like, man, I, I am going to represent my country at the world stage and be able to, you know, compete against the best of the best in my sport. It was just surreal, amazing, amazing feeling. Yeah. That's dope. And, and you won gold. And, and, and the one gold that on top of that. Yeah, it's for my very first Paralympics too. It just got crazy. The, like looking back at it. And it was and the kind of our I would say driving factor for our team at the time was that the US team didn't win gold at the Paralympics in 28 years. Wow. Since Rio uh Rio 16, uh, 2016. And that was kind of our you know driving factor like it's no way you know one of the you know mecca of sports like in the world the u.s it can't be that long of a drought no in in basketball so that was kind of like driving factors like everyone put in extra work extra hours to be you know the best it can be as a team to get the job done and and we accomplished that 
So now that you won back to back gold, right? Mm-hmm. Does does the hunger stop? No, I would say no. Um, I would say it's still de- definitely there. You know, you at this point, there's not as much left to prove, but you still want to compete. You still want to show the world that USA is still one of the top teams in the world um, in USA basketball. So, of course, going into it, it's going to be, you know, number one or bust. Um, you know, we're never going to be satisfied unless we get number one. And and on the goal with that is uh, we usually have a, a kind of a, a mini worlds, I would say, not a mini worlds, a mini Paralympics, usually two years before the Paralympics, just for basketball. And it's usually um, like 16 teams. And that kind of kind of determines like who you know, it's coming up, who's the team to look out for. And then we lost that that major competition um, uh, against Australia leading into 2016. And that was, you know, a very, very heart-wrenching feeling, like losing, making it to the finals, and then losing, knowing that we could have played better, we should have played better type of thing. So that was our driving factor, like, it has to be number one or, or nothing at, at all. Like, so over bronze, any of those things are not going to be satisfactory until, unless we get number one. How long is the overseas season when you're playing pro overseas? It, you, it normally starts, it depends country to country, but normally it starts around, I would say, beginning of October and goes until beginning of May okay. for the most part. Some, some countries go um, from October to like the end of May. But it's normally October to May in some general. So, sense. so you kind of on, on like the end of your season a little bit right now. Exactly. Like I have two major competitions coming up right now, and that's Champions Cup, and that's basically kind of like it's kind of like the Paralympics of of our sport. Is basically all the best club teams in Europe, the whole of Europe. So we'd be playing, you know, the best teams across all of Europe. So in Spain, in Italy, in France. Um, and seeing who's the best club team in all of Europe, not just in Germany. So it's a, I was actually fortunate enough to win that last year. And I was kind of, uh, after winning gold, that was kind of one of my bucket lists too, was to win the Champions League and be a part of a club and consider the best club in all of Europe. Um, and I was able to accomplish that net, uh, last year, right before um, winning gold again in Tokyo. But yeah, I have that next week starting. And now our team is refocusing and trying to, be able to see if we can go back to back in, in that um, and see if we can, you know, accomplish being, you know, the other top team, uh, top club teams in Europe again. So, Brian, man, all you, do, all you do is win right now, right? All you do is win. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would say that. I definitely have a couple of losses, especially this season already, yeah. uh, to, to a lot of good club teams um, in, in Germany. So, but I try, I try my hardest to, you know, help the team win no matter what. So is your family overseas with you right now or are they, are they back home in the state? Yeah, the family is, the family's here um, for sure. It's, it's kind of hard doing low distance. So the family's definitely here with me. I bet that's fun for them, right? You know, to get to go overseas, you know, a little bit and kind of to see the world. Yeah, it's definitely, I'm definitely looking back. It's like, it's been a great opportunity for, for the kids, especially because they get embraced completely into different cultures, different languages. They picked up, you know, so many different languages. My old, my eldest daughter um, at the time when I was in Italy was speaking fluent Italian. 
But then now she's in, you know, German schools for the past five years. So now she speaks fluent German. And then my second oldest um, daughter is speaking, you know, a decent amount of German as well. And now my eldest son is picking up German. So, you know, they're picking up languages and I'm going to hope and I will stick, help have them stick with it, with keeping the language because they're going to help them down the road being able to speak a second language. Yeah. Three and fourth language probably by the time we're probably done, right? Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. That's awesome. That's very cool. I mean, that's that, that that's a unique experience right there, right? Just to mm-hmm. be able to just to see the world firsthand, you know, at a young age. Yeah, right? exactly. So so since you're, you know, you're you're killing the game right now, man. How mm-hmm. how do I get a Brian Bell jersey once this is all? <laughs> how do I get one of those from my wall, man? How do I make that happen? I- um, I might have a few of them. It just depends on where you want it from. I have a few uh, jerseys from like clubs. I have a few ones from Team USA. Um, but I definitely have a few flown around if you do want one. Oh, I, I legit want an autograph Brian Bell jersey, man. <laughs> I want to Yeah, I I can make it happen. Yeah, I, I mean, like Team USA, because I asked Jorge too, man. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, you know, is. I enjoy it because, like, I get to hear your stories, right, and mm-hmm. yeah, and, yeah. and 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 to see how you all persevere, right, mm-hmm. and and I want to make sure with nine point as we continue to grow that we show more adaptive stories because you're going to be the one that inspires some some kid who just had mm-hmm. a life changing situation to say that they can too dream of being the athlete still, right? They can still dream of yeah. you know doing amazing things and that and then life isn't limited. So, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. so I appreciate you coming on here, man, and just sharing your journey. Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. So as we kind of end this a little bit, so two things, one question for you. So what's next? Okay. What's next? Um, let's see. Well, as I mentioned, I'm getting ready for Champions Cup next week. And then after Champions Cup, um, we have German finals here. Um, so that'll be, like I said, two potential titles that I can get. Um, and then after that, leading into Team USA again, doing the summertime. So I have the first USA training camp the second weekend of June. Um, and then that'll be with Jorge uh, as well. So we'll be getting ready to compete in Brazil to qualify for Worlds in November. So you so you, so you you're back, what, in the States, what, like, what, June? I'll be back in the States by June, yeah. Mm-hmm. June. Cool, cool, man. Cool. Well, good luck. Good, good luck with your with the cups. You know, get get yeah, some, get, get some more blings. You know, get. I'm gonna I'm gonna try my hardest. No worries. <laughs> and then I, I like to leave. I like to leave the club on on a high. So if I can do that, I, I will. Definitely, definitely. I'll be watching or, or try, trying to watch. I'm, I'm gonna find a way to kind of like stream it out here, maybe. Um, okay, definitely. I can definitely send you any type of like links or whatever. Sure. Um, that I have to help with um, streaming. So yeah, definitely. Shoot my way. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And then the last question for you, Brian, where are you at right now? Mm-hmm. Social media, anything we kind of mentioned right now? Mm-hmm. No, not per se right now. I'm not doing anything too big. I am at the moment like getting my professional career overseas and I'm looking to move back permanently to the U.S., so now I'm looking for, you know, a real, you know, big board job now. So I'm kind of getting, you know, dusting out my resume, 
um, back from, you know, the college days and trying to fine tune things like that and shipping out my resume to potential companies to kind of find um, a job before I move back Sweet. Um, at the end of May, being of June. Sweet. And then right now, social media wise, where are you at? Social media wise? Instagram, anything uh, like what, what, what Instagram handle or you're on Twitter? Oh, um, my... My Instagram handle should be. Uh, never know this off, off, off the top of my head, but it should be like B underscore Bell, I believe. Um, a bunch of I'd like to just use my name and not be too fancy, so it's easier for people just to look me up. But I'm pretty sure it's like just B underscore Bell. Let's see, and and it's pretty close to that as well on Twitter. B underscore Bell. One three oh eight, yeah, thirteen oh eight, yeah. Because that's those are my numbers in high school, college, and USA team. Okay, eight like Kobe. Yeah, there we go. Hey man, well Brian, I appreciate you coming on, telling your story. Yeah. You know, and really, you, I, I learned a lot this conversation. So, so I appreciate you, and and, and good luck next week. Yeah, I appreciate you, Jacoby, for having me come on to your podcast and tell my story. So I do appreciate it. Definitely, man. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. You do the same. Bye. Bye. Yo, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nine Point Started With A Dream podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment, share, leave a review. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can find more athlete-driven content at ninepoint.com. Till the next episode, you're only one opportunity away. Peace.